0: We would like to acknowledge the traditional owners on whose land this podcast was produced and pay our respects to their elders past and present. We would also like to acknowledge the commitment and sacrifice of First Nations people in the preservation of country and culture. This was and always will be Aboriginal land. Sherlock is a town in the Mallee in South Australia, Naurangiri country. It's about an hour and a half drive out of Adelaide.
1: Okay,
2: So that's it there. Let go. It's okay.
0: On the highway there's a Baptist church, a community hall and an old farm grader out on display like a piece of art.
2: So Sherlock is a town that had a, you know, it was once a sort of, Railway town servicing one of the many along the highway here. But they now have a shop that's open for an hour a day, for four days a week. The railway line's gone. The school that was once here is gone. They're looking for ways to, to actually give people a reason to stop.
0: The buildings are all made from soft white limestone, the sort found in the ground here. It's raining today and the rain is turning the earth into a shimmering white mud. Mark Thompson is measuring out the future site of the Sherlock Musical Playground.
2: So I don't, uh, accidentally scale up things
0: too. At the moment it's a bare patch of land between the old tennis courts and the edge of the highway. But soon, it'll be an inventive collection of sculptural musical instruments, all made out of old farm equipment.
2: We're looking to build in this area roughly 12 metres square, I'd say, to build a kind of like a small orchestra. People in Sherlock were looking to build a playground. Here we are, and there's not much here, as you'll notice. And and they were interested in other ideas. What... ways they could expand the idea of a playground. And I suggested that we attempt to make playground equipment out of old farm junk.
0: The remarkable thing is that the instruments will all be in tune with each other. Instruments made by the creative thinkers who frequent the Sherlock Men's Shed.
2: We're just slowly getting local people to help build the uh, playground elements, because there's some really good welders here. The farm shed is a place to repair and keep your, your equipment going. is a sort of really powerful tradition out in the bush. So we've based a lot of what we're doing on the Sherlock Baptist Men's Shed, which is on John Peter's property, and he has got a pretty impressive collection of technology and, and tools to take on some pretty big jobs.
0: I'm Scotia Monkovic, and this is Creative Responders, a podcast from the Creative Recovery Network that explores how creativity in the arts have a unique role to play in disaster management. This episode, you'll hear from people using the act of creating to combat isolation and make farming communities more resilient to the social impacts of drought.
2: Top of them, and it'll be like a thing. Climb up. They'll be full of
0: dirt. Ah, people like Mark.
2: I'm a designer and maker of things, I've written a few books and increasingly I make interactive things for people, things such as uh, museum designs that you bang or whack and they produce an interesting result or you play with and hopefully deliver a sort of aha moment of some kind. That's what I, I, I love to do
0: Mark dreamt up the long story short program with co-conspirator Suze Ifold, then of the Koorong Regional Council.
2: Suicide has been a really big thing in the area. There'd been a spate of suicides and we spent some time talking about how, how men have got unique ways of telling stories.
0: The project combines art and storytelling to create a narrative of men living in regional communities including their daily life, challenges and hardships faced. It uses these stories to entice the broader community to connect with these communities as they drive through the Mallee.
2: You come through a small town like Sherlock and your phone will light up and say, there's a story here, have a listen to this. And the whole idea was that we'd create artworks or publicly visible things that say, this is where there's a story and have a listen to this story, stop here, sit down, enjoy this place. And it's a bit like meeting somebody when you come to a country town that you meet and you meet someone whose story you remember. That's a very powerful memory to have.
0: In Sherlock, it's the playground that will entice people to stop.
2: This is a sort of big, open, flat country with huge skies, windy, right? So you're farming a big property, a lot of the time by yourself or just with, you know, a member of your family or, and it can be quite, you can easily just go from day to day to day without actually socialising much. If As farms have become consolidated, they've been aggregated into larger and larger farms, you know, so it means that there's no longer schools, you know, that kids now travel 50 kilometres to go to school or whatever. So Sherlock seemed to me a sort of example, of uh, a really good example of that. I thought, wow, we could mix their need for a playground with old farm equipment and see what we could do.
0: Exposing people to local stories and craft as they drive through the landscape is an outcome in itself. A nearby town is focusing on crafting stories about the honey industry, and they're looking to draw in passers-by with a giant sculptural bee. But it's not the audience experience alone that drives the project. It's the act of making these artworks and crafting these stories that really excites Mark.
2: The saying, as they say in in the bloke shed world, is that men tell stories next to each other rather than face-to-face. Having a task means that they're more comfortable talking about something.
0: Something that's hard to talk about face-to-face is the impact of drought and the changes to farming over the decades. Much of Australia is experiencing a period of drought, lower-than-average rainfalls across most of Queensland, New South Wales and South Australia, which began three years ago in 2017. It's a slow building emergency being felt here in the Koorong region, at the lower end of the Murray-Darling Basin. Today's rainfall is a rare and welcome occurrence. A study on farmers' mental health in 2018 found that isolation and financial hardship were both factors in the amount of psychological distress apparent in farmers experiencing drought. Strong social ties are identified as a vital foundation of a resilient community. The men's shed and local sports are the main ways that the farming community around Sherlock come together. But it's the participation in creative processes, like the Playground Project, that enables the opportunity for deepening these connections, reducing isolation, giving voice to experience, making sense of the unimaginable and generating shared resilience building.
2: It has a sense of isolation about it and it's like so many other small country towns Around Australia, it's a sort of... People here are very firmly determined to survive.
0: And there's something about the creative problem-solving that happens in the shed on John Peter's property that gets Mark's imagination firing.
2: It is about creativity, and it's an interesting thing for me that I actually think that a lot of what those people normally do in the shed is fundamentally creative, the problem-solving stuff, which... They find hugely fascinating. They'll stand around and scratch their chins and nod, and and when something comes out well, it's hugely satisfying. And I've spent a lot of time saying this is creative. This is this is every bit as good and meaningful as art, right? And saying yeah, yeah. and they sort of go, yeah, maybe, maybe.
0: Follow the Murray River from the Koorong east along the New South Wales-Victorian border and you'll find farmers and artists collaborating in other creative ways. Ian Tully is the director of the Swan Hill Regional Art Gallery.
3: I'm also the director of the outreach program called the Acre Project. I happen to be a a practising artist and my interest there is around the environment. It's around farming, agriculture, rurality people living in the regions.
0: A major project he's been working on for years now is called TWIG. It comes from a similar place to Long Story Short.
3: And we're talking about the, you know, the, the millennial drought when this, this came about, this, this program. Men are generally the farmers and men generally, blokes have trouble talking about health, they have trouble talking about mental health. And this is one of the, the big symptoms of the drought, is, is mental health issues affecting all and sundry, but particularly blokes. And we know, too, that farms are only getting bigger, communities are in decline.
0: Drought was a factor, and increasing isolation on big rural properties.
3: Operations are getting bigger and bigger. Tractors are getting bigger. All of the plant is getting bigger, we don't need as many workers on the ground so what happens we lose the workers on a farm for example so that there's you know maybe 5 maybe 4 or 5 in that family uh, the two leave the primary school the 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 school numbers decline they don't need as many teachers at the school and on it goes it's a it's a you know a domino effect essentially on the rural environment where services are, are in decline Right across the board, there are towns that will absorb some of those, but the smaller towns are evaporating before our eyes, unfortunately. So that adds another layer to that isolation. So if you've got one farmer working, you know, what used to be five or six farms, it's a long way between his boundary and and the next one, you know, across to the neighbour to talk. So we really are losing that social connectedness in that sense.
0: The twig, or twiggy, was a local concept before the twig project. Look, it's
3: quite peculiar to this area of uh, northern Victoria, as, as far as we can tell, but it uh, refers to a, a small fire lit on the side of the road. And it's it's been typically, going back over the years a male domain, I suppose, of, of where blokes have come back from footy training or been to the movies or whatever it was. But they've decided to continue the conversation, so they pull up on their way home, light a fire and continue to talk.
0: It's this sense of connection and community that the Twig Project sought to replicate through art.
3: A typical Twig residency would last for something like five to six days perhaps We'd bring an artist onto the farm. He or she would be then left with the farming family, or the farmer, if, if the farm was uh, on his own. In one, in one case, it was, and he would—that uh, is, the artist would would share the time over those five or six days with the family. So sharing their meals, stories, getting to know the lay of the land, getting to know the farming operation, how how it all works there and working with the the farmer ultimately in bringing together some a, a production if you like at the end of the residency. So there would be a celebration. There would be a twig, so there'd be a fire. The farming family would invite their friends, their family, might be the the neighbors, it might be the the milk tanker driver, it might be the shearing contractor, the vet, whoever they thought would enjoy uh, this moment, and they would come to the twig, the fire, the artworks that were produced, whether they were projections onto the silo wall or the side of a field bin that the, uh, the artists had made or whether they were sculptural pieces that had been assembled and maybe cobbled together during the week, welded by the the farmer perhaps, or they may have been two-dimensional works, but whatever it was, they would be there, lit in the dark. One of the the wonderful outcomes, I guess, that wasn't anticipated was the, uh, the depth of the relationship between the artist and the farming family.
0: The project has made a lasting imprint in the community. One farmer has even taken to host in his own twigs.
3: And he's brought the, the artist back on more than two occasions to and commissioned that artist to make work on his property. He's invited the community onto his property. He's brought musicians to perform and it's just the most wonderful thing to, to come out of that. I mean, I think everybody embraces it. People embraced it and were genuinely moved a lot of the time, certainly, by what was going on.
0: In projects like this one, finding the right artist is important.
3: Having that local connection is is really critical in finding who would work well with an artist. Having said that, you know, these people had not necessarily had an artist on their farm or had, you know, been in close quarters with working with a creative person like that and obviously vice versa. But we recognise the crucial element in all of this is they're both creative professionals. The farmer is a creative professional, so is the artist. They just work in different areas. And and that was sort of one of the underlying rationales, I suppose, for getting this together is because that's what we wanted to celebrate.
2: Well, this is the tubulum, or thongophone, the the lowest instrument in our our collection, and it's made from old irrigation pipe and they're inserted into a 44-gallon drum. The the longest pipe is near, a bit over three metres long, right? So when you make a playground, you have to make something that is relatively safe and not easily wrenched out of shape two so that's a kind of really big consideration with what we're doing. So that's so what it is, it's just it's iri- it's irrigation pipes tuned to the right length to give us a C scale, right, with all the all the flats and sharps and everything in it as well. It's just only one octave but we've got two all together that there's another smaller one that'll be an octave higher. The round part of the that you strike is actually part of the irrigation pipe. It's where the it was the sort of joining mechanism, a round ball that actually came into a sort of a clamp, a semicircular clamp, and was sealed up against there. In the end it will, as you can see from the other one over there, it will look like a strange mallee rocket.
0: One corner of this giant shed does not look like the others. The shed's full of farming equipment, tools and stacked tractor tyres. But in the corner are musical instruments made out of old farm gear.
2: What we're looking at here is several sets of xylophones made from old water heater pipe. Right, so... And so they are painstakingly... Cut to length and tuned right. And over here is here is another one that's um... right. So and there's another one down by your feet. Then this one this one's sitting on a on an old petrol tank, right. Which actually gives it a really nice resonance, too. So so finding things that, that resonate really well has been an interesting challenge. These change pitch at different types of weather. So, you know, the hotter it is, they change pitch. And in fact, with the tubulum, the thongophones, they change pitch depending on the air pressure.
0: And there's a blackboard listing the ambitious plans of the Sherlock Musical Playground.
2: This is their instrument wish list. So the thongophone, built by Kevin Paul and Rob Hughes, and that's still being built, and our gas bottle gongs, and we were trying to make tail shaft chimes, but they turned out not to be good enough steel to make a good tone. Some small chimes, which, which is the brass xylophone, that we've now got three of, and we're probably going to have five altogether. They're our sort of like our string section, if you like. They've turned out to have good tone. Pagoda bells, which we can't tune properly. Tool xylophone, we've actually got enough to make quite a few, but they are all unpitched. Tongue drums, which we've four kinds, we probably have maybe five. And a 44-gallon drum kalimba, which has turned out not to be practical. There's a few more little possible things too, like a, a giant fart machine, you know, which may yet happen. I'd love to see it happen.
0: The shed belongs to John Peters.
2: I've been here all my life. <laughs> yeah, no, I've been here all my life. We've got a
4: mixed farm. Cattle, sheep, cropping, um, Yeah, we're in a low rainfall area, I suppose you'd say, 15, 16 inch rainfall, or 400 mil, 375 to 400 mil rainfall. We've been here over 100 years. My grandfather started here in 1912, and My father was here and now my son is taken on because I'm past retiring age by a long way. (laughs) I still work full time but yeah and it'll gradually get handed on to the next generation.
0: The shed nights he hosts here once a month predate the playground project by 10 years. Men from the area, most of them farmers, come from all around to meet in the shed, have a barbecue and a chat on a Friday night once a month.
4: You know, they say don't stop it because of the interaction in the community. They, you know, people, men need, men need men. Because, you know, we work on our own seven days a week. Don't see anybody quite often. And a lot of them don't interact with the community. They don't have anything to do with community activities. But they'll come
0: here and talk. Kevin comes along to shed nights. He's a friend of John's from a neighbouring farm.
1: When the project started, I couldn't see how you could use old farm machinery to make musical stuff, until Mark and Rob Hughes and Andrew come visiting my junk heap, that they called a fascinating resource (laughs) centre. So it's just the different way people look at stuff. Oh, you could do this with this, and you could do this with that, and...
2: Kevin's resource centre is just fantastic. It's just so full See, of great a, things. Just a different way, a different yeah, mind yeah.
1: looks at it.
0: What's great about projects like this is the meeting of minds that brings new and fresh perspectives to the world around us.
2: I'm always am- amazed by the jobs. People just turn up and say, John, um, this is broken. Do you have th- any idea we could fix it? As somebody said, oh, John and Kevin, they're the tin sitters. And and I said, tin sitters? What does that mean? And, and somebody said, yeah, they'll just sit on a tin and look at a piece of broken equipment and sort of work out how to fix it up, right? And they'll just sit and, and gaze at it and chat and, and maybe leave it for a bit. And then sooner or later they'll work out how to do it.
0: Kevin and John... They're a really good example of what Mark and Ian are trying to bring to the surface with their projects. Farming is creative work that involves problem solving, thinking outside the box. They have a reputation for it.
1: Well we get nicknamed the Tin Setters Club because <laughs> sit down and work, work stuff out, the engineering stuff. It's always been almost a passion of mine, making stuff. This is it. A- quite a challenge. It's nice to have somebody that knows how to tune stuff. <laughs> I think it's something that's born in you. Like, you get good sports people. They're good at any any sport. Somebody that's good academically. But somebody's got it up here who can look at the problem and solve it. I always look at machinery, new machinery and stuff and I'll sit there and try and work out what makes it work. How does it work? And and I think that's just something you're born with.
0: Creative spark.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's something that you can't learn as effectively as as if you're born with it.
0: And the tin setters have turned their attention to the creative problems that arise as you try to build a playground out of farm machinery.
1: Um, The old saying, two heads are better than one.
0: Like the bongophone.
1: It took quite a while working it out. Rob tried to use mathematical calculations and we came up with a different method that worked out better. <laughs> Just by measurements around a drum. We were trying to mount was it 11? Mm-hmm. 11 pipes around it inside a drum. He tried to work it out mathematically, but it didn't quite work out.
4: Basically, there's not too much between Kevin and I that we can't nut out if we have to work together on a project or something. A lot of people have got no concept of what happens on a farm day by day. You mean they, You might see a tractor going round or a dog chasing sheep and that's about where it finishes but farming has just become so... we've just got to do so much ourselves. And what you did this year as far as your program goes, if you think you're going to do the same thing next year it won't work. You've got to be adaptable.
0: For some farmers Bridging the rural-urban divide is essential for
5: disaster preparedness. If you eat or if you wear clothes, and most people I know in Australia tend to do both, tend, um, then you're already involved to a certain degree with agriculture. Your future is just as, um, just as closely integrated to this as ours is I'm Verity Morgan-Schmidt, CEO of Farmers for Climate Action. We represent farmers, graziers and industry leaders from all across Australia, from the banana fields in Tully, beef producers out at Longreach, right down to viticulturalists in Tasmania and across to wheat growers in Western Australia. Verity's main message for Australians who aren't
0: involved in farming is get informed and explore ways to connect with rural and
5: regional communities. What we need to do is make sure that we actually bridge those rural-urban divides which sadly have widened over the last couple of generations. We need to get people from urban areas re-engaging with how food production and fibre production occur within Australia. Verity says that if all Australians re-engage with
0: farming, it will help bring about practical changes and policy responses to drought,
5: something made increasingly urgent by climate change. I think one of the the most devastating things about drought is that it's a very slow moving emergency. It creeps up and it tightens like a vice until it's got you so tight that you don't know which way to turn and this is why it's not quite as visible as an emergency as say a cyclone is when one crosses the coast. There's no immediate red alert that goes off and yet for farmers drought in many ways is actually more destructive because it takes place over many years. It erodes it erodes the resilience of the business the resilience of the community and the resilience of farming families as they deal with the impact of an ongoing drought. Drought as a slow-moving, creeping
0: emergency is being exacerbated by the impacts of climate change. CSIRO analysis commissioned by the government in 2008 found that the frequency of exceptionally hot years had increased rapidly in
5: recent decades, and the areas affected by this heat were increasing. Their heat stress is far deeper, their capacity to actually manage is becoming eroded, and that's providing an increasing urgency to the need to take action on climate change and to really recognise the impact that drought is having on Australian society. And I think, you know, part of the challenge is that Australian farmers are very, very good at managing climate variability. Uh, We know that we are the land of drought and flooding rains. I get told that more often than I care to think about. And yet what we also know is that we're seeing an increasing severity of these droughts and that's taking a severe toll. It can be hard to cut through the political fighting to talk about the practical
0: changes that need to be made in response to this climate emergency the shift to farming in a harsher reality. But the past few years have seen attitudes towards climate action change in agriculture leadership and on farms around the country. In 2018, President of the National Farmers Federation, Fiona Simpson, declared that climate change was making drought worse in Australia. And Verity says
5: attitudes on the ground are also changing. Five years ago, a movement like Farmers for Climate Action would have struggled to exist, and yet now we are overwhelmed with demand, with more and more farmers reaching out to us and saying, look, you know, I felt that I was the only one that was thinking like this.
0: But for farmers, facing the reality of climate change can also come with a significant amount of grief.
5: And so I think this is why sometimes the the conversation regarding climate change in agriculture can be difficult. It is confrontational, it is a lived reality. And so it is at times deeply challenging to actually accept the science because that science is, it's almost unthinkable what that will actually mean. This
0: presents an opportunity for the arts to play a role in supporting our capacity to approach the unthinkable. If the strongest action we can take is to get informed about food and fibre production and get involved by visiting and engaging with rural Australia, then projects like Long Story Short and the Twig Project can
5: be an entry point for engagement. I think we've seen fantastic examples around the country of where art and agriculture have come together. There's a wonderful program run in New South Wales which actually uses art to engage students with agriculture and look at some of the big issues facing agriculture, including climate change. You look further afield and you see initiatives like the the blue trees that are being painted across the country in recognition of suicide in regional communities. You see areas like Kulin where the the horse roads as you go into town have actually played an important role through uh, a very entertaining form of artwork, played an important role in actually revitalising those communities. And one of the things that we sometimes fail to reflect on is that agriculture in itself is actually almost a form of artwork. So there's this deep deep connection that I don't think we often tap into between what we're doing with the land, which is in some ways a, a form of art. It's a productive, very productive form of art. But many farmers are as deeply passionate about that as artists are about their work.
2: Uh, are actually quite old. So, and, they've got, and they've got interesting history in themselves in that they're often old, old railway... Back in
0: John's shed, tools. Mark is showing us the latest creative challenge the group is tackling... Adjust how to make beautiful old handheld wrenches into an instrument. Mark can imagine students coming from nearby towns to play Amazing Grace on the orchestra of percussion instruments. But for the instruments to be played, they have to be in tune. He lays the tools on strips of foam and plays them with a hammer.
2: Now these are all sorts of weird and wonderful tools. There's some really interesting things... There's resonant points in the bar of a um, xylophone, right, that is basically sort of two-ninths of its mass and its length, right? You hit it at the right point, it'll ring quite nicely. But if you hit it at the wrong point, it don't, you notice how it's dampened.
0: Unlike the pipe, you can't shave off a sliver of wrench until it's in tune with the rest of the playground.
2: Well, yeah, they, I mean, they have nice tone, They have nice tone, but they are not necessarily a pitch that's in tune with everything else. And I have been experimenting long and hard with trying to actually see. up... Like, I been, mean, if you see, that, that's F4. Nearly F4, you know. You know.
0: But the tin sitters and the other men of Sherlock will turn their minds to the problem, and I'm sure they'll find a creative solution.
2: It lights up the same parts of the human brain as any other creative experience does. And it's practical, it's deeply practical, but it it rings the same bells as as any other creative experience. It doesn't have to have, Those creative experiences can work in many, many different ways. They don't have to carry... A, you know, a big gold frame around them. You know, they, as long as you get that same kick. The fact that those kind of engineering creativity experiences are done together only kind of magnifies their value.
0: Creative Responders is an initiative of the Creative Recovery Network, hosted by me, Scotia Mokovic. Thanks to John, Kevin, Mark, Verity, Ian country arts essay and especially to John's wife Rosemary who made us a cup of tea and an amazing cake the series is produced in collaboration with audio craft with executive producer Jess O'Callaghan producer Selina Shannon and creative recovery network project manager Jill Robson the sound engineer is Tiffany Dimack and consulting producer is Bo Spearham original music was composed by Mikey Squire If you are interested in supporting your community in challenging times, we would love you to join us by becoming a member of the Creative Recovery Network. You can sign up on our website. You could also connect with us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We'd love you to tell your friends and colleagues about the podcast. You can find it in all the podcast apps and you can also listen at our website. Just go to creativerecovery.net. This is where you'll also find links and resources for further reading about what we've covered in this episode. The Creative Recovery Network is assisted by the Australian Government through the Australia Council, its arts, funding and advisory body. Thanks for listening.